I'm really, really excited uh, about being here at my assignment. It's finally starting to get rolling. Um, ever since it's been announced that I was coming to St. Thomas, I've had a little bit of a, you know, that, that little like joyful fit going on inside of me. I'm just really fired up uh, and excited to be able to learn from Father Andre and to be part of this community for the next uh, five months or so. Um, so thank you all for your, your warm, warm, warm welcome. Um, I'm from Raceland, uh, just down the bayou. And uh, when I was growing up, I grew up basically right across from, the, from my home parish, uh, right across the street. And uh, we had an old priest that was living there. He was a retired old priest. His name was Father Stanislaus Manikowski. Um, if, you've ever, if, if you've ever been around the bayou, uh, you know that is not a Cajun name. Stanislaus Manikowski, not quite Cajun. Uh, he was originally from Poland. Um, and now I always knew him as just kind of like this joyful old priest, you know, I like served his funeral or whatever. And I saw that he was like holy, but I didn't understand quite what was going on with this guy. And the older I got, the more I learned about him. He, uh, he actually was, he was ordained a priest in Poland. He was uh, arrested and he actually was in a concentration camp for a couple of years during World War II. Uh, he was in Dachau. He was freed from there. And then he ended up finding his way to the, the U.S., um, was a pastor in Bayou Blue, and then found his way to retire in Raceland. So he went from Poland to Raceland. So like, this guy, like world traveler, right? Um, one, thing I, one thing I'll always remember about Father Manikowski, uh, no doubt I'll, I'll take it to my grave, he had one homily. Like, it didn't matter what the readings were. It was a Christmas homily, it was an Easter homily, it was a funeral homily, he had the same homily. And that homily was, you have to love your mother. Very simple, very plain, love your mother. Three words. And that's what he kept it at, was just love your mother. Love your mother. Today we read in the scriptures of two stories, um, of Elijah and Jesus doing exactly that. Loving a mother. In Elijah, in Elijah's case, um, Elijah, just like for a little background on Elijah, he was the greatest prophet. Jew, Jews would have known this guy as like the top guy. Jeremiah, Hosea, Elijah was the guy, right? He was the one. Um, so he was the greatest of the prophets. And we hear in the first reading basically like his greatest highlight. Like this is the moment where they knew that this guy was, the, was a boss. Like he was the guy. Um, he raises somebody to life, like a dead guy. He makes him alive again. He did, a, I mean, that's, that's pretty strong. Like, you got a pretty strong point on your resume right there. So, the, the one, there's a detail, though, about him bringing this guy back to life that I think we need to break open. Because it doesn't just say that he brings a person back to life. Like, that would be awesome in and of itself. But there's a deeper meaning. This guy was the only son of a widow. What does that mean? In a Jewish context, the only son of a widow, and he dies, that woman is like in a hopeless spot. Because in a Jewish context, they needed, like, a woman needed a man to provide for her. Um, otherwise, she wouldn't eat. Like, she wouldn't survive. She couldn't work. So, so she doesn't have a husband, and now her son dies. So, like, socially, she's in a hopeless spot. She's in a helpless spot. Because she's completely at the mercy of the people around her. So that's on a social level. But like on a deeper level, a woman just lost her son. Like, 
there's a weight in that. Anybody that, if you've ever talked to anybody that has lost a child, it is like the most unnatural thing to bury a child, to bury your own child. A woman lost her son. So not only is she in this pit of despair and desolation and darkness, but she's also in a hopeless spot. That's where Elijah meets her. Elijah meets her in that. And she looks at Elijah and says, well, what can you do for me? Like, you're a man of God. Yeah, what can he do? So what does Elijah do? Elijah reaches out to her and basically on behalf of her prays to God for her son to come back to life. He, he goes through this little ritual and pleads and petitions God, please give this man life again. And he, and he starts to move. And he gives him, he gives the son back to his mother. So this story, when, when we read the gospel today, this story is going, like Jews know this story. They understand everything that's going on in this story. All the levels, all the nuances, they've got And then steps in Jesus. Jesus does this before a crowd at a funeral. It's a very public public space. Same concept. Only son of a widow. He's died. What does he do? He looks at the son and he says, Young man, I tell you, arise. And the dead man comes back to life. Now, that would be impressive enough to like hint back that, Hey, look, I'm like Elijah. But no, 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 he does something, there's another detail that makes him a little bit greater. In a way, he breaks Elijah's record. Like, he becomes a little bit greater than Elijah. Because what does he do? He doesn't plead and petition to God. He just very directly says, young man, I tell you, arise. Elijah has to rely on God to, to, to do, you know, like, do the actual thing. Like Elijah has to ask God, please help them out, and then God works. Jesus, on his own authority, says, let it be done. Tell you, arise. And brings the dead man back to life. And the Jews recognize that Jesus is not just, he's not just pointing and saying, hey, like, I'm like Elijah. He's saying, I'm better than Elijah. I'm greater than Elijah. I'm the one Elijah prayed to. I am God. And the Jews recognize it because how do they respond? The crowds that are around them at this funeral, what do they say? We just sang it in the Alleluia. A great prophet has arisen in our midst. This is what the crowds are saying around this situation, around this miracle. And also, God has visited his people. Like a greater prophet than Elijah has arisen. God, you are here now. They're recognizing the divinity of Christ right there before them. So Jesus gives a widow who's just lost her son a a, a son. He he gives the son back to his mother. I can't help but think the first reading in our gospel today point us to another situation where this happens. Where at Calvary, Mary stands, a widow, having lost St. Joseph earlier, and watching her son be killed. And what does Christ do from the cross? He looks at her and says, woman, here is your son. Son, here is your mother. 
John Paul II had a, uh, his, his papal crest. Every pope has a crest. And on his crest, he had a cross. And on one side, he had an M. And on the other side, it was blank. And somebody asked him one time, was like, what's this supposed to be? And he says, it's Calvary. It's a scene of Calvary. The cross is Christ on the cross, and the M is Mary. And, but then they're like, what, well, what about this blank spot? And he says, that blank spot is because you're supposed to stand there. You know, in the gospel, they don't, they, they don't say, whenever John's writing his gospel, he doesn't say, I was there. He doesn't say, John, the beloved, was there. He just uses the words, beloved disciple. And I can't help but think that that's supposed to be for all of us who are the beloved children of God to stand in that place. Because at Calvary, we receive Mary as a mother. And we're entrusted to her as our mother. That mother relationship, we're called to love our mother, right? Like how's that, how's that relationship going, you and Mary? Another, another maternal type relationship that we have is kind of what St. Paul's talking about in his letter to the Galatians. Where we hear St. Paul, we kind of know the background of St. Paul, right? Persecuted the church, has a conversion. He's in a spot of sin. He has life spoken to him through, through the image, through the, the, you know, God's working, God's, God's, uh, God's appearing to him. And then all of a sudden, he kind of has this realization of, whoa, okay, I'm doing wrong, and reorients his life. Right? He's a zealot. He's, he uses the word, his zeal for the faith, for his old way. He redirects it, and all of a sudden, now he's, on, now he's pro-Christian. Right? But what does he do with his zeal? He goes out, he's evangelizing, he's doing all this work in the early church. He writes like half the New Testament. Like this guy is pretty pro-Christian. But always he goes and he talks to Cephas or Peter. And he visits with James. And he makes sure to stay in line with the apostles. He makes sure that his relationship with the church stays strong. Why? Because he recognizes the church as a mother. The church as our guiding mother, as our tender mother, as our loving and caring mother who's not about knocking us down. Like mothers do, like, right? Moms, moms aren't ones that are going to kick their children while they're down. Like moms are supposed to be the one that build us up, that love us, and that kind of form us and teach us how to love, teach us how to receive. Like, this is what Paul's recognizing. Our own sin brings death into our life. The Lord speaks his word through his church oftentimes and brings about a newness of life, brings about this resurrection in our lives, always in connection with the church. See, when we look at the church as a loving and caring, guiding mother, we can see God as our foundation, our strong, uh, guiding father, all of a sudden the church takes on less of, a, less of a corporate structure where we look like it's just a bunch of levels of bosses on top of bosses, and it looks a lot more like a family, right? Like the church, when we come together in the sacraments, we can, we can look, more, look at the church more as a family as opposed just to a bunch of rules and regulations that we have to follow. A bunch of thou shalt nots, right? So like confession, in the, with, with looking at the church as a family, confession becomes more like 
it's less scary and less hard and less strenuous and it's a little bit more like apologizing to your dad for breaking the window right like apologizing to your mom for saying the wrong thing at the wrong time i don't know about you but i've had to do that a lot the communion, the, the Mass, is a lot less just coming here, standing, sitting, listening to music, trying to be entertained, and then coming, getting your food, and leaving. And it looks a lot more like Sunday dinner at Grandma's house. I don't know about you, but my, my, my grandmother, if you were to show up at her house, eat, and then immediately leave, that was an insult. Like, you were punished from next week. You ain't coming back. Confession looks like apologizing to our parents. Communion looks a lot like Sunday dinner where we commune together. Sure, we, become, we, we come into a stronger relationship with the church and with God the Father. Church, our mother, God the Father. But we also come into a deeper and closer relationship with one another. As a parish family unites around this table. As we come in, into an intimate and loving situation where the Lord speaks life back into us because of the death that we brought on ourselves through sin, He speaks back that life into us through counsel with our, with our Father. This is the image of the church that the Lord came to, came to establish. If He came to establish a corporate ladder, We've done, a, we've done a good job of breaking that down. He didn't come to, come to make a, a, a corporation. He came to build a family. He came to adopt us as sons and daughters of, of the Father, that we may be united under the banner of our mother, the church. So today, as we come in this sacrament, as we come to this table, Come united. Come together that this parish family may be united and open to our Father, to our, to our Mother, to our Father God, to our Mother the Church. I know I'm beyond excited to be a part of this, to be able to be part of this parish family. Like I am truly joyful to be able to step in for a short time and be a part of this parish family. And I know that we're under the guidance of a good father. But I pray and I hope that as this family grows together tonight in this Eucharist, that we may commune with one another, we may commune with God the Father, and we may continue to reverence and invest ourselves into the church, our mother.